Welcome to The Treatment with Dr. Rahi. I'm Dr. Rahula Sarbazia, your host. This is your resource for all things health, wellness, and beauty. Hi, it's Dr. Rahi. Welcome to my office in Beverly Hills. Today, I have a special guest, Dr. Lucas Kwapish. Excellent. I'm going to call you Dr. Lucas, though. That looks, yeah, sounds great. Okay, great. Thanks for coming. You're welcome. We're going to talk about gut health. Let's do it. I'm so excited. But a little bit about your bio. Mm -hmm. You're born in Poland. Mm -hmm. We're starting from the very beginning, day Mm -hmm. one. Born in Poland, raised in Toronto. Best city in the world. Yeah. Just like me, best city in the world. (laughs) Then you went to University of Alabama on a soccer scholarship. Best sport in the world. Best sport in the world. Do you play soccer? I watch soccer. Okay. That counts. I like Uh, Yeah, I like soccer. And then you went back to Canada. Back to Canada. University of Ottawa for medical school. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Cold. Switching country. And yeah, it was Ottawa, really cold. Ottawa gets so cold in the winter. I've been there. It was like minus 30 Celsius, yeah. like the first winter I was there. And like when we'd park the car and then walk into the building, our nostrils would freeze like yes. within like one minute. It's the worst. That. It's awful. Yeah. Not fun. <laughs> Not fun. And then you did internal medicine residency and then your first fellowship gi yeah at the university of western ontario yeah i think they changed the name to western university but oh they yeah, did i think so when did they do that i don't know maybe when i was there <laughs> but still london yes <laughs> love london yeah you do it's a very collegey town yes don't they have the most parties at western yeah i think they like burn cars and like, do fun things like that yeah especially <laughs> like saint patrick's day yeah really? it's crazy yeah it's actually it's actually crazy wow yeah. <laughs> then you did your is it a super fellowship or a one-year fellowship, something? Yeah, it's an sub- adva- yeah. Yeah. advanced fellowship. Advanced fellowship, that's what yeah. you call it, at the Mayo Clinic. Yeah, that was and awesome. And that's in Minnesota. Very cold. Like <laughs> Ottawa cold, but awesome. Like yeah? The best hospital. Is it really? Yeah, you I actually have never been to the Mayo Clinic. Go. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. And now you're an assistant professor in gastroenterology at Baylor College of Medicine in yeah. Houston, and oh, you boy. recently started this position. Yes, two months ago. So very wow. new to Houston. And what were you doing before that? You were like transitioning. I yeah, I was at the main clinic for a year and a half. So yeah, natural transition, and yeah. And you did inflammatory bowel disease at the Mayo Clinic. Mm-hmm. So specializing in Crohn's and inflammatory bowel disease, ulcerative colitis, and IBS too. Yes, IBS oh, a ton is of, super common. Ton of IBS because it overlaps. It does. So everything that's digestive we pretty much saw despite like specializing in inflammatory bowel disease we saw every single gi symptom despite that because there's a lot of mimickers like ibs and so yeah ibs is a pretty common disorder out there right like what would you say is the percentage of people out there with ibs oh my gosh a lot yeah a lot i mean i think it depends on the subset of of location that you're in, but there's a lot of people suffering with digestive symptoms that get looped into IBS Mm -hmm. and more and more people are seeking help for it. So I think, I wish I had a percentage for you, but it seems like a lot of people are suffering some form of irritable bowel like symptoms, whether or not they truly have the syndrome is a different story, but there's a lot of people with digestive issues. Do you think this this is worsening as, you know, our food becomes more processed or do you think it's related to food at all? Or what do you think is your take on why more people are having these diseases great question i think yeah loaded question but great question i think number one i think it's getting recognized because people are seeking help more Mm -hmm. and so prior to this maybe people didn't go to the doctor as much for these symptoms they just learned to deal with them especially men and even men. actually what are the symptoms of ibs yeah i mean ibs the diagnosis is is essentially an a change Mm -hmm. or altered bowel habit 
with either constipation or diarrhea, with abdominal pain that gets relieved with a bowel, mo- bowel movement. And oftentimes people have to have this for a certain amount of time, months on end. And it's quite common because... And people, it can alternate between like diarrhea and constipation. Yeah, because there's different types. So there's mm-hmm. the IBS with a predominant constipation, with a predominant diarrhea, or even a mixed component where they can have either or. So I would say, yeah, I mean, it is very common and people are suffering from this. So so what do you think it's related to the food that people are eating? Or I mean, I know you said that people are getting more, recognizing it more just because people are going to the doctor more. But do you think that changing your diet can help it? And if so, what kind of diet would you Oh my gosh. Yes. So many tough questions. <laughs> I think it is diet related. Yeah. I also think it's stress and emotionally related. And I think there's a lot of things we don't know. I mean, if you actually look at fancy word here, pathogenesis of IBS, there's all these different theories. There's the gut microbiome. Pathogenesis means like where it came from, where it came from, why you have it. Exactly. And there's many different theories, as I say. So it's hard to pinpoint exactly which one because we don't know the answer. We 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 all have our own theories. My theory is that it is diet driven and emotionally driven. What's the best diet? Oh my gosh. Loaded question. I don't know. I think... (laughs) I think people need to, or people who suffer from IBS symptoms, I think it's key to take a food diary because there could be a diet that you recommend or I recommend, but at the end of the day, when you go home and you eat that apple and that gives you symptoms, you don't need Dr. Lucas or Dr. Rahi to tell you don't eat an apple. You yourself as a patient should be like, I'm not eating that apple because it causes me symptoms. So I think there are certain things that falls on the patient to do it like a food diary I think my general recommendation, which goes for everyone, is avoid the simple sugars. Should it be a food and sort of like bowel movement diary? Like, I ate this and then all of a sudden, two hours later, I felt like this. Yeah, especially if you're getting abdominal pain or bowel movements. So for sure. But those foods that you have to like almost certainly eliminate are the highly processed foods, the simple sugars. Some people say red meat, which releases a lot of inflammation, is something you'd want to avoid. There's a lot of interesting data coming about ketogenic diet, about a plant-based diet. So there's a lot of questions that hopefully we'll get to answer. These haven't been studied robustly where we can say for sure this is what you need to eat. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, what you're seeing is people who go on a plant-based diet, people who go on a ketogenic diet, all of a sudden their IBS is getting better and better. And we don't have a great explanation for it, but it seems there's something from an anti-inflammatory perspective that's helping their gut. Do you think, what do you think about gluten and IBS? Well, so when it comes to gluten, there is celiac disease, which is a true Mm -hmm. intolerance and allergic reaction to Mm -hmm. gluten, which is in wheat, which is in rye, which is in barley, and some cross-contamination with oats. And then there's people who have gluten sensitivity. Mm -hmm. So people who eat gluten and they get symptoms. So I think similarly to what we said before, if something causes you symptoms irrespective if you have celiac disease and a true allergy to the gluten, if it's causing you symptoms, don't eat it and see if it helps you. And I think that's where you start off with, will it help IBS symptoms? Not for everyone. If gluten doesn't make a difference, if you eat it and you feel fine, then you could keep eating it if you don't have celiac disease. But if you do, if it's giving you symptoms, again, same concept, 
stop it, see if it makes a difference. So more of an individualized approach to the diet rather than giving a specific diet recommendation. I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, is that what you tell your patients or do you say eliminate? I think, I think plant-based is sort of what I believe in and okay. what I've sort of been following and what I always recommend. Okay. I think that's... I mean, after watching The Game Changers, I myself have changed. Yeah. And that was a great documentary. Know, yeah. For those who don't know it on Netflix, watch The Game Changers. But it opens your eyes and I think knowledge is power about plant-based diet. And it seems, it seems again, you're avoiding the highly processed foods. Right. You're avoiding the red meat, which has inflammation, the processed meats. And it seems to help people's symptoms. Now, we need to study this more. We need to truly do good, proper studies that you can say, yes, this people should eat this. You do research at Baylor, right? Yes. And what's your specific type of research that you're involved in? Well, I'm doing a lot of research in inflammatory conditions. So anything that causes a lot of inflammation in your gut, that's what interests me. So be it pharmacological or medical treatments or lifestyle things that you can do. And one of the things that I really want to do this year is test out this plant-based diet. For yourself or... No, no, for patients. patients. I want to see someone who has an inflammatory disorder or an autoimmune disease go on the plant-based diet. Let's see... Do your symptoms get better? Because if they do, I mean, maybe we should be recommending this, but we need the evidence to back it up. It's not enough to just say everyone should do this. We need really good studies done. And hopefully we can do that this year on Baylor. And have you started? Well, (laughs) you're putting the pressure on me here. No, we're in the infancy stages of starting. It takes a long time to get those things rolling, right? Right, exactly. And so here's the other thing, like practically speaking, in California, in Los Angeles, you guys have a lot of vegan options. You have a yes. lot of plant-based options. In Houston, I would say they're growing. But this is a hard diet for a lot of people in other areas of the country it's to follow. It's so hard. Right? I agree with you. Especially when I was working in the hospitals a lot. Mm-hmm. I It was hard for me to follow it, even while in California. So what do you recommend for people to do? What do you do in Houston? I mean, I, you know, I'm fortunate that there's a Whole Foods like across the street from where I live. So I could go to a Whole Foods and I could pick out plant-based ingredients and diet and, and have many selections. I think people got to Google things and pick like the best plant-based recipes. But it's hard too, because imagine you've had a long day at work, you're driving home, you're so tempted by that Chick-fil-A or that McDonald's. I'm or not. Now. Okay, well, good. <laughs> but a lot of people are, right? Like people want the easy fix. And they I think, do. I get that. I get it. It's hard. It's yeah. hard to. It's also hard to make the change from where if you're eating like highly processed fast foods to really shift over and start eating fresh unprocessed foods. But I will tell you anecdotally, and maybe you, you've seen this too. Those people who say I always have fatigue, I'm always tired, I always feel bloated. Those that switch to a plant based diet, they feel awesome. They yeah. they end up saying like my goodness, like what a difference this has made for me. I now no longer feel tired. Or those people who are breaking out on their skin. I have a few friends who have done this. They've done their own research and they've eliminated these highly inflammatory foods. They've gone mainly plant-based vegetables and fruits. And next thing you know, their skin's improving. So the the acne, the breakouts, the fatigue, all of a sudden now they feel a million times better. And then they've slowly started to reinstitute some of the healthier Mm. meats and they still feel good. So I think perhaps this helps you get into like a remission where you get rid of all the inflammation and then you move on to maybe reintroducing certain foods to see how they make you feel. I don't know. Have you seen that? The fatigue and like... Well, okay. So this is what I generally see. I feel like I either see people on one spectrum where they're like super unhealthy eating really processed foods and overweight and... They just won't change. Okay. And they won't make that shift. And usually those patients are hospitalized. 
when I work in the hospitals or I'll see like the really healthy people that come into my office and, you know, they care about the inside and outside. So it's, it's, I have yet to see a big shift in someone. And I, I want to see that. I want to be able to like create that as well. I feel like it's hard. It's harder than well, I Well, to inspire you, people are getting better from the inside out, yeah. which is your motto. It is. And it's yours. Well, yeah, it is mine too as a <laughs> GI doctor. But I will tell you, like, truly, there are people who get better from, fit, like, with their fatigue and their inflammation and their skin breakouts with switching from these processed foods going to a plate. Right. So, like, I, just, I think I we just need to push it. Would, yeah. I would people. see it more often. I feel like my practice, it's like either the healthy or the really sick when I, the yeah. way I practice. It's hard. Yeah. But I think... Yeah, I think there's a lot of validity to it. I really, really do. I really yeah. like, believe it. We just now have to prove it in study so that we can actually make, like, this is part of your practice, part of my practice. We make decisions or we give people advice that's medically evidence-based. And we don't like to just say, oh, you know, do this, do that, mm-hmm. and not have good, solid evidence behind it. Yes and no. I mean, if it feels good and, you know, sure. I mean, but there's a lot of studies that show that plant-based I mean, I can't quote all of them right now, but sure. there are a bunch out there. But I think we definitely do need more. Yeah. More and more and more. Yeah. Because it's growing the idea and people are understanding it more. But I think more people need to know about it and more studies need to be done for sure. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So what about the gut microbiome? Do you have an opinion on how the gut is related to the brain? Because I love reading about that and learning about it. And it's so fascinating to me that... Just the idea that if you have a healthy gut, you can have a healthy brain. Well, it's really interesting because a lot of patients who do come in with IBS, they have symptoms that are emotionally triggering their digestive symptoms. So I have a spiel or a, a thing that I say to every single person, which means like the brain and the gut are intimately linked. They're in a relationship together. Mm-hmm. They're connected through one long nerve, the vagus nerve. Anything the brain feels, it shoots a signal down that nerve into your digestive tract. So I tell people, emotionally, if you have a predisposition to being sad or anxious or stressed, it could shoot a signal down to your gut and your gut can feel that. Mm -hmm. Like even the simple task of us thinking about food, we're both hungry right now. Our digestive enzymes can get released. Do I look with, hungry? No, but, but we talked about it. So our our gut will release digestive enzymes just at the thought of food. So there's a very powerful connection. So I tell every single patient, the truth is, if they have an emotional trigger, mm-hmm. they need to heal that first to help their gut, and vice versa. If there's a food that causes you symptoms, it can shoot a signal up that nerve to the brain, and it can trigger emotional symptoms and 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 create you know a sad or maybe an anxious or a stressful day as well so Mm -hmm. i think both things apply and it's interesting if you really take a good good history on someone with ibs Mm -hmm. and say they've had it their whole life they can look back to when it started they went through some emotional event like they went through something, whether it was a breakup, parents That's divorced, very interesting. they've been bullied, they went through some abuse, whether it was physical, verbal, or sexual. Yeah. And so from childhood, something emotionally has triggered those symptoms, which then hits their gut. And then they've been saying, you know, I've been constipated my whole life, I've been bloated, and my yeah. stomach hurts my whole life. So really interesting. Every patient that comes in with IBS, I ask that first and foremost, when did your symptoms start? And if they say it started 20 years ago, I say, did something happen? And 
inevitably, everyone has a story. Everyone has some traumatic experience they've been through that has triggered their digestive symptoms. It's very interesting. Oh, wow. That is very interesting. So how would you, if somebody comes in with IBS and, you know, there's like an emotional sort of connection to it, mm-hmm. how do you heal that just in general? I mean, I know every person's sort of different. Well, we make, it's simple. It's simple for me to say, let's relieve your stress. Let's control your emotion and your mental health. And we recommend a therapist or a GI psychologist, but really they're- What's a GI psychologist? They focus on mindfulness, breathing exercises, really, it's a psychologist, it's a therapist that helps with the patient's symptoms when they feel digestive symptoms. When we know there's an emotional trigger, they teach them different behaviors to calm those emotions. And I think that's very, very important. People don't realize, they may hear a song on the radio, which reminds them of a breakup, and then that triggers their digestive symptoms. They might drive by their old high school, which they had a horrid time in, and all of a sudden they're sad. They're not like conscious of this, but subconsciously that impacts their gut right away. And it's interesting, you get people to tap into that. Just like when you feel nervous and you feel like butterflies in your stomach. Exactly. That's like that, that's the gut-brain connection, right? Exactly. But what's interesting is you have to, you have to fix the brain first before you fix the gut. Interestingly that I say that. But then you also have to fix the gut before you fix the brain too. So. Yeah, I think both things go. It might be a chicken egg situation. Yeah. Fix both. Sure. I mean, but you have to really, if it's an emotional trigger, mm. then you have to control the emotional side first or else the gut won't get better. What do you think about probiotics as a form of controlling like the emotions? Do you recommend that? I'm interested to hear your take on probiotics, Dr. Rahi, here in a second. I generally do not recommend probiotics to patients. I love probiotics. I figured, but so here's here's my party line. In do you think here. it has to do with the fact that I'm in California and no. Texas? <laughs> no, no, no. This is even coming back to Canada in even being at the Mayo Clinic. So I would say this. Our party line typically was probiotics won't hurt you. Mm-hmm. In fact, they may help, but evidence is not great when it comes to probiotics. Like there, is, there, is, there are studies out there. The problem is like they're not standardized. Like you could go and get one probiotic and it doesn't have the same bacterial concentration as another probiotic. That's true, but there are some really great like medical grade probiotics out there. Okay, so tell me. So it's worked for you? Maybe I shouldn't. No, I'm, I'm, I'm willing <laughs> think, to learn about I think about probiotics it. are great. I think okay. you have to find the right one. There's different types and there's sort of ones that help with the yeast growth. There's ones that help with the bacterial growth. There's so that you'd have to sort of almost see the patient on an individualized basis and determine what probiotic is best for them. Potentially, yeah. And so maybe you're better at doing that than me. I would say probiotics should not hurt anybody. So if they're helping you, then continue taking them. I guess there are certain species that do work, right? Bifidobacterum, yep. that seems to help. The lactobacillus seems yep. to help. There's a streptococcus species that seems to help. And then in there's IBS. a spore one. I, so sp- I don't know which spore one, but okay. it doesn't matter. I, I guess in some ways there are certain ones that help people. Yep. And maybe individualized, they have to find that one that helps. I'm hopeful that they can standardize probiotics a lot better. I'm hopeful that they can say, look, this is the concentration we're putting in, and this is what's going to be consistent with all of our probiotics. But when you don't know, and like, they're all over the place, like how much, and we're talking about trillions and trillions of bacteria. So how are you influencing the gut microbiome? It's hard to know off of just, you know, whichever one you pick off the shelf. Have you heard that there's more bacterial cells in your gut than there are like your cells in your body, your own cells? That's correct. Yeah. Like I said, so there's trillions of bacteria 
yeah. living in your intestine. And what we don't know is how much is food influencing that bacteria? Yeah. How much is this probiotic influencing that bacteria? How much is maybe even a prebiotic? So this is not a living... So this is something you put in that helps grow right. the other bacteria that are Things there. Things like apples are prebiotics. Yeah. So like... What else? Well, I mean, so it's interesting... <sighs> I'm going to ask you about this. I'm putting you on the spot. And this might be not an easy question to answer. So anecdotally, what are your experiences with apple cider vinegar? Because I know I have friends actually mm-hmm. who sell capsules, not actually drinking. Because I've had people who drink it and like, I can't do this. Day it's three. so hard to drink it. So do you do the capsules? I gag. I don't. I should. I should I should at least try to drink it. Okay. I know it, it's really good. I think it like cleanses out your body. I believe in it. And okay. it's also really good when you mix it with this clay mask. You put it on your face, it like clears out your skin. Get out of here. Swear to God. I need more clear skin. Okay, let's do that. Okay. Let's do a clay mask. What about alkaline water? Do you recommend alkaline water? I do. Really? See that one? I'm not even sure if the science behind that is. Okay. (laughs) I drink it. You drink it? I have a big Kangen machine in my house. Okay. And then just drink alkaline water. So are we going to get personal here? Do you have digestive (laughs) symptoms? My digestive tract is on point. Because you do all of this stuff? I feel like it's a combination of magnesium, turmeric. Okay. That's anti-inflammatory. Yeah. So there is good evidence um, for turmeric. Plant-based diet. Okay. And like just lots of like healthy lifestyle choices like meditation, yoga, blah, blah, blah. So we're flipping so. the script on Dr. Ahi here. Okay. Um, Interviewing me. No, no, no. No, no. I have to like this is, this is my GI side that is, is, is interested prior because you haven't been doing this your whole life. No. So prior to doing this, were yeah. you having digestive symptoms? Yes. Were you... Absolutely. IBS? Um, I would say definitely IBS. So before I even did the Integrative Medicine Fellowship, way back in the day when I was even in high school, I would eat meat. I grew okay. up, I'm Persian, so like it's there's meat in the culture, sure. right? And I was constantly bloated and my tummy always felt like uncomfortable. Like distended? Yeah. Okay. And I was like always, why do I have this, you okay. know? And I didn't know anything about anything, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And even in med school, didn't really learn about it. Still sort of, I sort of like started peeking into vegetarianism, plant-based when I was like 18. But that was influenced by actually a trip to California. Okay. I know. And then... Cali Love? Yeah. Okay. And that helped a little, but I think it really, when I started getting into the health and wellness side of medicine, like learning more about the integrative things and getting on magnesium aggressively was life changing. From those symptoms, like the bloating, distension. And And then cutting out things like dairy. I don't eat a lot of gluten. Cutting out like meat completely, but that was cut out like a long time ago. And really doing things like fasting. Intermittent fasting? Yeah. So there's great evidence for that. So like 12, 14, 16, even 18 hours. I try to start eating at like 8 or 9 p.m. And then I won't eat until like 1 p.m. earliest, sometimes 2, 3. Coffee? Coffee. Yeah, yeah, I have coffee. I love coffee. Mm, Oat milk though. Or it's supposed to be black if you really want to be fasting, but. So let's have a a little (laughs) thing about dairy because I I, I need to bring this up. If you think about the concept of dairy, it doesn't make any sense to me. No, it doesn't. Just think of this. Like in all mammalian species, who is drinking milk after infancy? No one. No just one. humans, right? Just and so humans. humans are pouring this like big amount of milk into a glass. I know. From another animal at that. Like, do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't make any sense to me like it's, why we're doing it's awful. it. It's so awful. I tell all patients with a di- with digestive issues, cut out. Cut out dairy first. Cut it out. That's the first thing to cut out to see if that helps you. But me so in your experience, was it the shift away from I think it meat? was just I think it was taking it a lot more seriously. I think in the past, like, 
you know when you know when my health really took the shift towards the most positive direction was when I really started doing more like clinic work and focusing on the integrative side of my practice and okay. like leaving the hospital because when you're in the hospital you're working those long hours and then all you have is hospital food which the by worst. the way is poison it's the worst yeah hospital food is poison don't eat like hospital food don't eat hospital food and then I noticed like when I got to choose my food and like really consciously like pick the healthiest things yeah. and regulate my circadian because no more night shift please things like that I was the healthiest and my gut felt feels the best so it's really interesting because I'm listening to you and you did all these things and you changed your sleep cycle mm-hmm. and you, what you're describing is a lifestyle change. Yeah. And it's more than just one thing, more than one dietary right. change. And I think for your listeners or viewers, whatever, I, I think that's a great take home point. If we're talking about what does it take to have good GI health, get yeah. rid of your symptoms, it's everything. It's not only the food choices you make, it's right. getting the right sleep, it's right. drinking the water, it's doing intermittent fasting, it's paying close attention, being vigilant what you put into your system. And that's the take-home point, I think, of what we're trying to come up with here. Yeah. And I hope people follow that. I hope people learn that, that it's a lifelong commitment. It's not just, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to ignore the other parts of my life. Yeah, it really is. And you really have to commit to it. See, I feel... When you're wishy-washy and you're like, oh, you know, I'll do this maybe like the mm-hmm. this much or, you know, I can like cheat today and, you know, have like McDonald's or something. I think that's when you don't really see the change, when you really commit to it and really believe in it because I really believe this. Yeah. And I've noticed the shift in myself and I just know it works. Then that's when you'll actually see the change. Amen. I mean, no, no, no. Perfectly said. I mean, I, I can't even think of a better way to word it. And it seems like... I've can, no I, doc- can I tell you the hardest thing for me? Sorry, before I lose this. The hardest thing for me growing up, like culturally, I was grew up very, very Persian. Like my mom would like cook every night. Yeah. She still does. Like she's always cooking and she makes the best food. Okay. Shout out mom. <laughs> was giving up like some of like the staple like Persian dishes and mm-hmm. saying, I'm never going to eat this again. Because I care about my health more. Yeah. No, but I mean, so here's here's the other thing I tell all patients. You can't cut out everything that you like. You know, like if you like that piece of cheesecake and it's got some, like, you're allowed to eat it. Like oh, we have to, know. no, I mean, you have to enjoy some parts of life. You, you, you do, have but to. I mean, I You can't sure. live super restrictive or else you're going to break. It's like, it's like when you have kids. I don't have kids. You don't have kids, but have, if you I have, have kids, I have Rufus. You have a dog, but if you're so strict with your kids and you and you sh- and you don't let them spread their wings and do yeah. things, and you're like, you can't do this, you can't yeah. do this, they're gonna rebel, and it's That's the same true. person who imposes a strict like dietary restriction and lifestyle restriction. Eventually, they're gonna binge on something, and it's going to go the other way. So I think there so is a balance mo- somewhere. There is a balance. There is things. There is a moderation, but when you shift your complete lifestyle, then then you, even your taste buds change. Agreed. And you're not craving those, like, unhealthy foods anymore. Agreed. But, yes. No, I agree. And I think you you make that change more voluntarily because you've taken it upon yourself. But yeah. the point is, if you want... I think people should also realize that if they, every now and then, don't say, I can never have another drink of alcohol again because it's not good for you. Right. Not that I'm promoting alcohol. But the point is, if you right. want to have a, a drink of 1942 tequila, yeah. have it every now and then. It's okay. <laughs> Okay, Dr. Balance. Balance. 2020 is about balance. Agreed. Yeah. 
So one of my girlfriends is a colorectal surgeon. Okay. And she, we text all the time. She was like texting me. She told me multiple times that she's seeing so much colon cancer in patients in their 30s. And a lot of this is not genetic because I know some of it can be genetic predisposition to sure. colon cancer and you'll get it at very early ages. But yeah. I mean, she's attributing it to a lot of like lifestyle and diet. Are you seeing this as well? I'm not seeing a lot of people with colon cancer in their 30s. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when we do our scopes, Traditionally, it's on an older population, Mm -hmm. usually after the age of 50 or in African-Americans after 45. That's when we begin screening. Mm -hmm. I would say this. Diet could certainly play a role. So red meat, inflammation, Mm -hmm. lack of exercise plays a role. And Mm -hmm. I think the key feature is obesity. So the folks that are obese have a higher risk of getting colon cancer. And those who exercise reduce their risk by up to 25% of colon cancer, which is crazy, right? Like if you start exercising regularly, you can decrease your risk of like do this. Like that's a pillar, like a tenant of your lifestyle exercise. But I would certainly say those people who are getting it in their 30s, they probably have a genetic predisposition. And then there's an environmental trigger that's forcing this on and it could be dietary. And Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by cancer. Why do we get cancer? We always blame it on the genetics and we blame it on a, a on some environmental trigger. But is it food? Yes. Like, is it, it a, is. Is it a food? Like honestly, <laughs> I like think so. is it triggering like a change in our microbiome and then that's sending free radicals and oxidative stress and that's creating this this almost like domino or snowball effect that's creating a cancer that's fast growing yeah. with the genetic I wonder and I'm curious. And so I think, you know, more research, definitely more research into this. Definitely more research into it. You're laughing at me. I'm not laughing at you. You're laughing at me, Dr. Ahi. Can we talk about specific common disorders such as GERD? Yeah. What are some non-pharmacologic ways? Because what's GERD anyways? So GERD is common. It's very common. It's like gastroesophageal reflux disease. That's what GERD stands for. And it's really heartburn. So if you're having reflux symptoms or a burning sensation in your chest, that's what GERD or heartburn or reflux is. Mm-hmm. And it's so common. I mean, I can't give you a percentage, but it seems like every day I'm seeing multiple people with reflux disease. Yeah. And, and if it gets really bad, it predisposes you to even cancer. Yeah, it could lead to an esophageal mm-hmm. cancer for sure. Now that's further down the road. Right. But there is lifestyle things that people should do. Okay, so number one, maybe the theme of what we're talking about is something very individualized to everyone, and that is figuring out your triggers. Now, I can tell you the common triggers is smoking, alcohol, spicy foods, citrusy foods, tomato paste, chocolate, coffee, all the good stuff, right? Like, so so this is, this goes back to the point of, do you eliminate everything in life and don't enjoy anything? And I would say, look, if something's giving you symptoms, back off and reinstitute it and see if it's giving you symptoms. And if you're willing to deal with it, then you deal with it. If not, like, look, I'm going to cut this out. I'm not going to have this because I don't want heartburn. The other things that are very, very important is after you eat, do not go and lay down. Like, stay upright. And if your symptoms are worse at night, sleep on two or three pillows because this is gravity effect. If you lie down, acid is going to reflux or go back up into your swallowing tube, into your esophagus, and maybe in the back of your throat, and that's going to give you symptoms. So, but I think if you if, if you're propped up sleeping with pillows, you should probably see a doctor. <laughs> well, generally, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. At that point, you should. But yeah. I mean, eliminate the common triggers. I eliminate, mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to, and then. And then, gosh, I mean, then you see, like, do Is there I wanna... any, do you recommend anything else, like supplements that could decrease the... Acid? 
Mm-hmm. No, I don't. I mean, but maybe Dr. Rahi does. Probiotics will help. Probiotics will help. They do. I can't go on record saying that, but Dr. Rahi can. I, I mean, can because it works. Okay, it may. <laughs> okay, I trust you, Dr. Rahi. All right, this is a fun question that okay. some people might get disgusted by, but it's important. How many bowel movements should we should we be having per day? Everyone's people different. People don't talk about it enough. Yeah, people know. Movements. You yeah, should talk about it. You should it. talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I hear about it all day, every day. So <laughs> people are people are sharing with me. I would say, look, we're getting back to the theme. Everyone's individualized here. And so we say that you can have three bowel movements per week or three bowel movements per day. Okay. And everyone's different. And you could be along that spectrum. So mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have to go every day. That's mm-hmm. a common misconception. People think, I need to have bowel movement every day. And perhaps that is your normal, but perhaps you're only going three times a week. And perhaps you're going three times a day. So everybody is different in this. If you're going more than three times a day. I feel like you should go every day. Yeah. No, I mean, everyone feels better when they do. Otherwise, you feel backed up and nauseous. But some people chronically go every second or third day. And if they're not causing... So here's what people should Google. The Bristol stool chart. I think this is more important than how many. What's the Bristol stool chart? they're interesting pictures. I mean, if you could show a graphic of this as we're doing this <laughs> podcast, the people could look at this and be like, oh, and we generally, so it's a shape of what's coming out of you. Okay. <laughs> and funny. you want like perfect is Bristol stool type four. Okay. And I could describe it as a long sausage that comes out of you, yeah. <laughs> but that's, but that's ultimately what you want. I'm a doctor, I swear. <laughs> that's what you want coming out of you. You don't want like little rabbit pellets. Right. So I, I think the consistency of what's coming out of you is more important more important than necessarily the frequency. Okay. So I think that's what people should look at. Bristol stool chart. Type 4 is what you're aiming for. If you're not doing that, then you should make some changes to get to type 4. Okay. Yeah. Are you at a type 4? That's a TMI question, but yes. You've asked yes. me lots of TMI questions. I yes, I, I'm a type 4. Question. Yeah, please show the picture of no, it. No, but yes. I think it's important for like the doctor yes. to practice what the they doctor preach? preaches. Sure. Yeah. I feel like I practice what I preach. I yeah. try to. No, we have to. You have to, yes. I, I mean, <laughs> I've been... Oh, this might be too much information, and we might cut this from the podcast, but I've been constipated twice in my life, and it was Only of, twice? Yeah, but it was one of the worst feelings, like, in the world. Like, it was, like, five days. I had just gotten surgery mm-hmm. on my knee, okay. and I was on these pain medicines, Yes. and I was really plugged up, Yeah. and I wasn't taking anything, and then all of a sudden, day three hit, and I'm still not going. I felt so bloated, so distended. Yeah. Like, I was a rock. Yeah. I started drinking Miralax or taking Miralax, which is what I recommend to actually anyone who has constipation is buy Miralax first and foremost. Lots of fiber. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, fiber. Mm-hmm. But Miralax is awesome, like as a as a laxative. Uh-huh. And I started taking this and I went to day five. It took me a while, but it was an awful feeling yeah. of not going to the bathroom. So I sympathize immensely with people who are constipated it's and have been dealing with their whole life. It gets I've seen patients to the point where you have to like manually disimpact. Yeah, we see that a lot actually. What do you what do you recommend for fiber? Do you say metamucil, psyllium, um, or just dietary changes? Magnesium all the oh, way. Oh, how much magnesium? Lots of water. Anything above like 500 milligrams a day of magnesium glycinate, bisglycinate, or citrate. Okay. It's the best absorbed, and when you take magnesium oxide, it just, like, goes through you, so don't take that. Okay. And then probiotics, obviously, lots of water, lots of hydration. We need, like, a graph of, like, Dr. Rahi's, like, recommendation, like, this much magnesium, this probiotic, this much water, 
Oh, we need a graph <laughs> so I could look at it and then I could show my patients. Tests. Basically everything I said, if you want to create like a healthy, like sort of like gut GI bowel movements plan for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Metamine still is great too. Cause you, how much fiber do you need a day? We need a lot and we're not getting an, enough. No, we're not. I mean, there's different takes on it. And yeah. even like when you start off with fiber, you don't want to overdo it to start yeah. because that doesn't make someone feel good. That can no. even constipate you further. Okay. So I, I think you start with little amounts of fiber and you build yourself up. You have to keep drinking water though with yeah. this. Like this is a, a thing people don't realize. They think they could just, you know, take the Metamucil and not have enough water. Yeah. And that makes symptoms worse for them if yeah. they don't hydrate. So I think that's really, really important too. And now magnesium. I'm, magnesium. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start you on it. Uh-oh. Yep. I'm ready. I guess. You're ready. Okay. I'm going to start you on a few things Tell before, me. before we're done. Before I leave California? Turmeric. Okay. I love turmeric. And magnesium to start. And then okay. once you're like on that, you're hooked. Uh-huh. And I'll add some other things. I'm not giving up coffee. I'll tell you <laughs> I, that much. I, I would never ask you to give up okay, coffee. Good. That's cruel. Okay. Okay. So let's get into some fun things. Just because you're Canadian, I'm Canadian. Yep. You've only been in America for a short period of time. I've been here for a really long time. I'm pretty much American. Are you? Okay. I think so. Okay. I'm almost, I've almost lived as long as I lived in Canada in America because I've lived all over the place. Okay. Fair. So what are the top three things that you miss in like in Canada that we don't have here in the States? Okay, so we're both from Toronto. Yes. And, and those who have been to Toronto know what an amazing city it is. And I think when I think of Toronto, it's multicultural, it's diverse, and everyone gets along and lives in harmony. Like, we're all immigrants in Toronto. I think everyone identifies themselves as, like, we're from somewhere else. Yeah. And then once you're there, people are trying to help each other yeah. to, like, achieve success. Yes. And I sense that as a difference in the U.S., that isn't here but is in Toronto. There's a lot of disconnect between what an immigrant is in the United States versus like what an immigrant is in Canada. I think like, yes. And I think people don't feel entitled in in Canada as much potentially Mm -hmm. because they've come from somewhere else. They don't think the land is theirs or it's all about them. And I think people want to help others around. And I'm not saying that's not the case in the United States. Well, there's, you do have there's good and there's bad everywhere. But I think it's like highlighted a lot more here. We see it a lot more. And so I love that. I love the harmony of Toronto and the diversity. I like four seasons. I mean, I know it's wintertime now and people say like winter sucks and snow sucks. Yeah. And being in the negatives. You, you don't it, have four. You have seasons in Houston. Maybe not necessarily no, Canadian winters. It's like but hot and humid. All the time. Yeah, so pretty much. So you miss much. the seasons? Well, I love fall. Like, fall is my favorite season, right? Oh, the leaves, a good season. The leaves changing colors. Like, it's yeah. a little bit cool. You could wear a pico. I yeah. don't think I could do that in Houston. I think it's too uh, hot. So you miss winter fashion? Fall fashion. Fall fashion. Fall fashion is the best Ooh, fashion, yeah. I love fall fashion. So I, I love that. And I would say... <laughs> I mean, of course, I'm going to miss my friends and my family because that's, you know, that's number one. Yeah. And being far from them is difficult. But when we think of Toronto, also like the musical influence, like I grew up like we love our hip hop, our rap, our reggae, <laughs> our soca. Like we're eclectic because like there's a huge influence. Like yeah, the, yeah. Like the there's, Caribbean. Not as much, there's not as much Caribbean influence in, in America. Or mm, I mean, maybe in New York. There is but in like, Miami, but like even if you listen to like Drake's music, the it's weekend's very, music, like, Tory Lanez, yeah, there's like yeah and, yeah, and and I don't know, like from our younger days when we used to go out and party, and like those were good days, and like that's what I, so I miss <laughs> the musical influence of Toronto and yeah. listening to the radio and all those things, and 
Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> now, what are, what, are, what are the top top things that you like more in the United States? <laughs> it's obviously a reason you moved out here. There is. So I will say this. Here's the thing about America, which I love. And this is probably my favorite thing about America. If you have a talent, if you have a predisposition to be good at something, yep. the United States offers more opportunity than anywhere else in the world. In and the I'm, world. Yeah, it's cliche. Sure. But like... Even if you had a, we don't have kids again, but if we had a child who was a prodigy in music yeah, or yeah. dance. Oh, or, us have a child? Yeah, there or you go. Yeah, there okay. you go. Right. But if you did, the <laughs> yeah. opportunities are endless here. Like you can, they can have the best people and talent teaching them, at, whether it's a sport, as I say, a sport or even in medicine like us, there's just great opportunities yeah. to do things. And it's more, I don't want to say capitalistic, but in many ways it's, it's there's a greater ambition to do amazing, amazing things in the United States. Yeah. And I think that's what drew me to coming here. Yeah. Is not that I want to be some crazy ambitious person, but I love Oh, the idea. you're not crazy ambitious. No, you are, Dr. You're Rahe. Board certified in two countries. Okay, well, <laughs> look at you in this office in Beverly Hills, all fancy with this Bizu sign. I feel so special to be here. But no, truly, I would say like it, it's awesome to be in the US. And if you do have certain goals. They're easier to achieve here. I love that about America. Is that your favorite thing? I love that about America. You are able to take your your passion and your talent and take it to another level. Honestly, I could not do what I'm doing in Canada. Sorry, Trudeau. Sorry, mom, dad. I'm all the way here, but I just don't think I could have. They just don't give you that. I don't know what, what it is. I mean, it is the capitalism, but allowing yourself to like really branch out and grow. It's phenomenal. I agree. I agree. So we're both here. We'll see for how long, but so far, so good. Maybe I'll move to California. Open up an office next door. Heal you from the inside out. I think that's a great idea. If you think that's a great idea, please vote. Yes, let us know. Let us know. (laughs) Cool. So is there a takeaway message that you would give my lovely viewers? I think takeaway messages, which let's highlight. Number one, eliminate dairy. It doesn't make sense why anyone's eating or drinking milk at this point after infancy. So if that, if you have any digestive symptoms, eliminate dairy. That's number one. Number two, I think things are individualized. So an anti-inflammatory diet is something that we, myself and Dr. Rahi, we both push. Mm-hmm. And anti-inflammatory often is based around plants, fruits, vegetables, and so try to increase your intake of those things. So I think that is an important concept. Eliminate simple sugars, eliminate red meat or limit it as much as possible. Process things, artificial things, try to get rid of them. Love and that. maybe magnesium, maybe. Yes, that magnesium, everybody. Everybody magnesium. magnesium, please. There you go. That's right. the take home. Thank you. Thanks for coming. I you're appreciate welcome. it. No problem. And thanks for watching. So if you like what you heard and you're motivated to live the best you, please subscribe to the podcast.